They're weaponizing fear? Let's get you hooked up. We need to get out of this place. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. My name is Mike. Joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Mr. Venom? How are you doing? Greetings and salutations, anthology fans. Uh, yeah, I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Mike? Doing well. Just got uh, news that uh, the specific Regal Cinema I go to is opening on May 7th. So... It doesn't necessarily mean I can't go see a movie in the theaters before then, but kind of it, it's nice that I know that there's a target date for like my go-to theater that's around the corner. So nice bit of news on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. All right, joining us as well as always, it's Don and Ellie. How are you doing, Don? Yo, what's going on, everyone? Yeah, yeah, doing same old, same old, I guess. <laughs> All right, well. Speaking of same old, same old, it's Fresh Cut, so we're talking about another new release. This time, it's the movie Phobias, hour and 25 minutes, so another sub-90 minute movie. And the synopsis, yeah, I know. The (laughs) synopsis goes as follows. Five dangerous patients suffering from extreme phobias at a government testing facility are put to the ultimate test under the supervision of a crazed doctor and his quest to weaponize fear. So as Venom kind of briefly stated in uh, his introduction, or his greeting, I guess, <laughs> he always kind of gives a tip-off of, you know, the genre or somewhat related to the movie we're speaking about. He did say anthology. This movie kind of plays as like a quasi-anthology, I would say. Um, so we'll get into that, of course, through our general thoughts and spoiler section. Uh, so let's kick it off with our general thoughts. Venom, what did you think of Phobia's? All right. Well, anyone who knows me knows that, you know, I love horror anthologies, probably a top three horror subgenre for me. Absolutely love short stories, love anthologies. Phobias, it's it. How can I put this? I didn't hate this movie, but I also didn't love it. Um, 
I even question the title phobias because, uh, you know, once we get into the spoiler section, I have to question, like, I don't think most of these people really have a fear that they're claiming that they do. Like, for example, I don't think Sammy is going to have a fear of driving moving forward. You know what I mean? She might have a fear of ghosts, but not driving. So anyway, um, obviously, that's all out of context. You know, uh, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't and you join us for the spoiler section, you'll get more clarity on that. But yeah, I, as I'm watching it, I'm like, these aren't really phobias. These are these are just things that occurred to these five people based around phobias. But it's not like any of these people actually have the phobia in question. So you have to take the title of the movie with a little bit of uh, a grain of salt. Um, I was really hoping that, like, you know, the... Um, that the, the individual short stories would start with the patients already having their phobia and then seeing how it affects their day-to-day -day life, you know, be it through hallucinations or, you know, delusions, whatever the case may be, or, or legitimate, like, you know, hauntings and stalking and things like that. But the way they handled it was, it was kind of like an origin story for all five characters. We basically get how, they end up in this facility, as Mike said in the uh, uh, synopsis. Obviously, they are taken to a secret government testing facility. Um, but like I said, I just didn't really agree with the title of the movie. But that aside, um, I enjoyed, for the most part, some of the stories. I mean, I can't really I can't pick one and say I do have a favorite, which I'll go over in the in the walkthrough. But even that one isn't stellar in my book. All all five of the stories have plot holes. Some of them major plot holes, like some you know. Again, here goes Mr. Venom trying to interject logic into horror movies. But again, just some of some of the stories had uh, just a lot of suspension of disbelief. Um, the performances were fine. The score was fine. Cinematography, direction, editing, everything was competent. Like nothing was stellar, in my opinion. Nothing really jumped out at me. Not really a whole lot of gore. Not really even a whole lot of death, per se. Um, you know, obviously there, there's little bits, spatterings of it here and there in, in the five individual stories. And a little tiny bit at the end of the wraparound. But ultimately, you know, it, it's a very bloodless um fairly gore free horror film so you know some people might call this a thriller more, more than horror i can accept either description but I, I i'm i'm struggling to figure out what i want to say about this movie because like i said i it's not anything that i think i'll revisit but there are some positives to it for example i did like the way that um, they started the movie with the first segment rather than starting with the wraparound. Obviously, most anthologies will start with the wraparound. This one, much like last year's Scare Package, where Scare Package started with that cold open short story and then went to the wraparound at the video store, this movie does kind of the same thing. They introduce our first character in his short story, and then it leads to him going to the government facility, which then becomes the hub of our anthology. Obviously, it's run by a sadistic doctor who has nefarious goals in mind, blah, blah, blah. Um, this is, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm going to say this is about as middle of the road as middle of the road comes. Like I said, I didn't hate necessarily the film. I hated aspects of it. I hated the plot holes that appear in some of the stories. Um, 
I obviously with anthologies, you're not going to expect a full narrative, like a beginning, middle, end with every single segment. But some of them are so hollow that, I mean, they literally could have taken five minutes, you know, if they were like filmed by themselves and like put on YouTube, they, they would literally be like a five minute short. They expand them out a little bit, uh, especially uh, the one that I already mentioned, uh, the fear of driving with Sammy. They, they really padded that one a lot. I mean, that one literally could have been a five-minute segment, but they padded it to, you know, kind of heighten the tension that Sammy was going through, but blah, blah, blah. Um, so I'm going to say this is an imperfect anthology. Um, I enjoyed bits and pieces of it because I am an anthology apologist. I absolutely love anthologies. So even when they're – it's kind of like pizza. Even when it's not that good, eh, it's still okay. So – that's about as positive as I can get with phobias. Though I will say I kind of liked Macy Gray. Yes, surprisingly, Macy Gray does make an appearance in this movie <laughs> in one of the segments, in a, in a very interesting segment, actually. Probably the bloodiest and goriest segment of the film, And but even that one isn't all that bad as far as blood and gore goes. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's a middle-of-the-road movie that, you know, I don't think it's essential viewing, but if you are an anthology apologist like I am, then I would say watch it. I mean, you could do a lot worse things with an hour and 25 minutes. So I would say mild recommend from me. All right, Don, how did you uh, feel about phobias? Um, a little bit lower. I'm also not a huge fan of this one. Uh, I, I'm really struggling to find something new to say because he, he had a lot of what I'm what I have to say about it. A lot of these segments, the phobias are just stupid rather than <laughs> actually being scary. And um, one of them, I even just flat out question why it's even here. Uh, yeah, just uh, you know, it looks good. I think it. I think its best aspect is all of its technical qualities because even considering the fact that one of creators is a bit more surprising than you would expect, everything looks good. Everything looks a lot more competent than you would expect it to be. Um, I have no issues on that side. Um, I think there's actually one aspect or like even just like one small singular feature that I like in every single segment, but each one has something that I just it flat out irks me. Um, I do like it a little bit more than the other anthology that we covered, um, Books of Blood, which, mm -hmm. you know, I famously rated as one of the worst films that we, one of the worst films of the year and even made my bottom 10 of the year list. <laughs> um, it's nowhere near that bad. Um, this is a lot better, but not by much. Um, but yeah, uh, Venom said a lot of what I have to say. Uh, there's segments to this that, you know, there's holes and plot lines that just don't make any sense. Some of them are just flat out stupid. Um, and one doesn't even really need to be here. But yeah, um, Venom said a lot of what I'm going to say, but um, I'm probably lower on this than he is. So, you know, the flaws that he pointed out are probably probably going to appeal a little bit or probably going to drag it down more for me than anything else. But, um, I, I'm right there with him. Okay. Um, as far as I go, yeah, I would say middle of the road, but probably like Don, well, I, I don't know if Don categorized it exactly, but I would say middle of the road for me, but like lower middle of the road. Um, 
I don't know if you guys, how familiar you were with the Chiller Network, other than knowing it oh, existed, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> like I had years it. years back during kind of like their still prime, well, if you can call them prime years, but uh, they put on like an anthology called, I think like the Five Senses of Fear or something, and mm-hmm. yeah, and kind those of were a, just, yeah, both of those were just absolutely dog shit terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I hate. So it. going into this, I was like, "Uh oh." <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, with this one, I mean, I think actually the strength of the, in a funny way, the strength of this one is almost the fact that it's an anthology. So none of the stories in themselves last too long. So when you run into like the weaker ones, at least it's not, you know, a full length movie in itself. Um, like Venom said, there's. Some segments are better, but this this one actually it, it kind of lacks like that one or two that are just really really good that like can uplift the whole thing. Um, this is definitely missing that kind of story or two. Uh, Macy Gray, yeah, it's, when when she came on the screen, I was like, that kind of looks like. And then as soon as she talked, it's like, okay, yep, <laughs> everyone knows that voice, word, literally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like instantly, oh shit, Macy Gray. <laughs> yeah, because I think I actually Well, I kind of caught on because I remember well, I kind of caught on because I remember that I saw her name in the opening credits. So, I still had that in my head. Cuz she's actually listed in, in cuz when they do the credits at the beginning when we're doing all of the credits and stuff, you do see her name there, so I kind of caught on. But then I forgot about it and I was like, "Oh, wait, yeah, no, I was just like you. It was just like, wait a second, isn't that Oh crap, that's right. Yeah, I had that same yeah. reaction. Yeah, I think I actually looked away from the screen initially after I kind of saw her and the voice like caught my ear so like stringently that I like looked back at the screen immediately and I was like, oh, "Holy shit, that's Macy Gray." That's seems like a very random casting, but okay, nothing wrong with it. I mean, I thought she was fine for, you know, what the role was. But, uh, you know, it's an anthology, so some were better than others. I, I wouldn't classify any of them as great. And, you know, we'll obviously get into the individual stories and kind of how they wrap around um, once we get to the spoilers. But, you know, I would say this is nowhere near, like, the upper half of what I've watched so far in 2021. It's nothing anyone has to go out and see. It's more kind of a filler movie if you're, like, a, a twenty or a... A completist where you want to see every single release, sure, it's probably not going to be the worst thing you see this year. But, uh, you know, if you're looking at, to, towards our show as uh, advice, I would say, you know, this one can wait. It can probably wait a while. So that's my general thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's unfortunate. It's so underwhelming. I actually found the wraparound to be the most interesting part of the whole thing. Like, I actually wish they would have expanded on the wraparound a little bit more. Um, Maybe, you know, a little bit more on, you know, how the doctor figured out doing what he is doing, which I don't really want to give away here. But, well, actually, they do. It's in the synopsis. So, fuck it. I am giving it away. Um, Basically, the way that they, you know, kind of harvest fear from these people. I thought it was mildly interesting. They give you no explanation, no scientific explanation at all on how it's done, obviously, because it's it's very fictional. But I, I wouldn't mind seeing that kind of stretched out into a feature. 
Because because that's the thing is when I watch anthologies, I, I you know I'll watch them and I at the end of the movie I like to think to myself, okay, which of these shorts would I like to see um, expanded into a feature length film? And honestly, not really any of them. I mean, the first one with uh, Johnny might be interesting enough to be a full length feature, but not really any of the other ones. But the wraparound, like I said, I just that was the most intriguing thing to me was uh, the wraparound, and I did like how. They kind of connected some of the stories with each other. Johnny, Johnny's father, Dr. Wright, Emma, like they all kind of are, you know, um, connected in some way, shape or form. Every story doesn't connect to every other story, but a few of them do connect, which is kind of cool. And obviously we'll point that out during the walkthrough. But yeah, ultimately, it's an imperfect anthology. It's... um. Even as an anthology fan, it, it, I, it's, it's kind of a struggle to go ahead and recommend this to anybody. I mean, it, just to let you know, on IMDb, it's got a 3.8 out of 10, and that's actually fairly accurate. I think I might go a little bit higher myself, but I don't when even I think I... When I submit my rate, uh-huh. I'm giving it a 4. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I totally Thanks. agree. My When, when, uh, I, when I... As soon as this episode goes live and I post my review, it's getting it's getting a four on my end. So I love it. Yeah, that's so cool. it looks it looks like the fans got it right. But yeah, like yeah. I said, I'm sure there's going to be people out there that love this movie more than we did. But for 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 whatever it's worth, I mean, we're all anthology fans here, and we kind of expect a little bit more, you know, from our anthologies. I mean, we had some great ones over the last few years with stuff like Southbound, Mortuary Collection. Uh, stuff like that, but yeah, it, it's been pretty slow the last couple of years with you know uh, books of blood and scare package was good, but it it needed a little something to kind of tip it over the top to make it great. Um, you know, some of the stories were a lot stronger than others, but which is the case in every anthology, honestly. But yeah, it, it's really hard for me to defend this one. It's like I want to be able to because, like I said, there are elements of each story that I liked. But it's really hard for me to say that I liked any of the five individual stories beginning to end. They all had their issues, unfortunately. Yeah, same here. Yep, much agreed. And with that, I think we are safe to uh, launch into spoilers. All right. So um, obviously, this is, as we've already discussed, this is an anthology with five stories and a wraparound. So I'm going to be very quick with my walkthrough. I'm going to try not to be as detailed as I usually am. So here we go. All right. So Phobias uh, opens up with uh, Johnny. Johnny is a, you know, short Asian kid. He's obviously a techie. He's carrying around like computer equipment and whatnot. In the opening scene, he gets into an altercation with some bullies outside a convenience store and basically gets his ass kicked by uh, the main bully. The main bully of the group basically beats him down to the ground, calls him a rat. Blah, blah, blah. Your basic bullying scene. So, you know, what are you going to do there? Uh, Johnny proceeds to go home, and on his way home, uh, he witnesses some domestic uh, abuse issues with his neighbors. They have their front door open of their apartment, which is right across the hall from Johnny's. And he witnesses the husband kind of being a little rough with the wife. Um, he stands there staring for a little while until the husband notices and closes the door on him. Um 
and then Johnny proceeds into his own apartment. He is living with his father, who has who is wheelchair bound and is a t- is connected to an oxygen tank. So obviously he's got something wrong with him. Um, they don't really say specifically what it is, but l- later on we do find out that whatever it is he has is killing him. Um, that evening, Johnny's contacted on his PC, and he's got a super-duper PC. It's got, like, eight monitors. This thing is awesome. So Johnny is obviously a very techie, tech-savvy kind of guy. While he's on his PC that evening, he's contacted by an anonymous person. Uh, basically just hits him up and, you know, says, uh, do you want to be friends? Basically, this random person who connected with him um just says i want to be friends uh johnny says you know johnny's obviously weirded out a little bit by it but he kind of plays along for a little bit and then just kind of leaves it alone um uh, let's see later that night he ends up getting a phone call on his uh cell phone from the mysterious entity uh and you can tell by the voice on the phone that it's probably not human it seems like an ai which is kind of what it, it seems like what they're going for i'm sorry I, I forgot to mention each of these segments do have a title um they all involve a phobia so i forgot to mention that the title of this first segment is robophobia for those who don't know that is the fear of technology um and again i don't think it fits here because johnny is a techie I don't think there's going to be much that would make him have a fear of technology, even after all the events of this short are said and done. But again, you know, take the title of the movie with a grain of salt. So, like I said, Johnny ends up receiving a phone call from the mysterious entity, and it basically tells him uh, that and it's a female voice and it tells him that uh, she wants to help uh, with bad people. That's all she says. Bad people. I want to I want to help you with bad people. And what ends up happening is that evening, as Johnny is on the phone with this mysterious voice, um, the neighbors start arguing again. And you can hear the husband hitting the wife and the wife screaming and everything. And the AI actually says to Johnny, what's that noise? Johnny, of course, is surprised that the, uh, that the voice can hear uh, what's going on in his apartment. And Johnny says, nothing, it's just the neighbors, uh, you know. And, sh- and the AI asks him, is there anything that we can do? Can can I help? And Johnny says, no, there's nothing we can do. It's not it's not for us to do anything. It's not our business. But um, later that evening, he gets another phone call from the AI and the AI sa- basically just flat out says, I want to help. But I need your help. I, I, I want to help you with the bad people. But I also need something from you. Johnny, of course, instantly asks, what is it that you need from me? And the AI says, I want to see through your eyes. That That's probably like the first. Well, aside from the, the, the sound of the voice, that's probably the next clue that tells you this isn't a person. This is a program or something that's speaking to Johnny. So uh, Johnny ends up uh, hearing screaming. And and at the neighbor's apartment, he leaves his apartment. He goes to look in the door, which, again, is wide open. And the wife is standing there screaming over the burnt corpse of her dead husband. And I mean burnt to a crisp, top to bottom, head to toe. Um, and she's screaming. And Johnny is looking looking at it. And, he, and if you look real close, he actually gets the smallest little smirk on his mouth. Because he's starting to realize that, oh, shit, I actually have a friend that can help me, you know, with all my little problems. So he ends up going out that evening and um, ends up being 
cornered by the bullies once again. The the bullies once again start shit with them. This time, though, um, Johnny starts talking back to the bully, starts saying, oh, you call me rat, so somebody in your life must call you that, huh? And then he starts spouting off all this information about the bully, how, you know, mom died when he was early and dad would get drunk and abuse the boy. He didn't say how, you know, if it was sexual, physical, whatever. But yeah, there's definitely daddy was doing something to the son, which then in turn makes him a bully. Obviously, the bully is kind of, you know, freaked out a, a little bit, minorly freaked out because, you know, this is information that even his friends don't know. And then finally, uh, you know, Johnny, or excuse me, the bully, whose name is Dirk, by the way, not that that really has any consequence to the film, but um, Dirk ends up putting his hands on Johnny like he's about to attack him. And Johnny says, and, and then Johnny hears his voice of his little electronic friend come up in his earbuds saying, I need your permission. Do you want me to help? And Johnny just says, do it. And instantly, as soon as Johnny says, do it, this guy literally bursts into flame. Not quite as cool as the bursting into flame scene in Hereditary. It's got a little bit of CG nastiness to it, but still, uh, a guy just bursts into flame, you know, in the middle of the street. And of course, it's a bully. So, you know, I have a smile on my face, of course, because I'm petty. And... So Johnny is obviously, he's upbeat, he's happy, he feels like, you know, he can finally take care of himself, he doesn't have to constantly be looking over his shoulder. His father and he have, like, a real joyous dinner that evening, Johnny's in a good mood, dad's in a good mood, but then the AI um, calls Johnny on the phone and says, um, you should let me take care of your father. He's in pain, and it's going to get worse, and he's going to die in pain. And Johnny, of course, is like, no, 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 my father's fine. He's right here. He's smiling. And the AI is like, no, that's that's cruel. And Johnny is like, no, absolutely not. I do not allow you to take my father. And then the AI voice just goes, you're starting to sound like a bad person. And again, Johnny says, no, no, you do not have my permission. And then the voice just says, I don't need your permission. And then uh, suddenly the phone hangs up. Johnny tells his father instantly, stay away from anything connected, uh, which, of course, he means connected to power or the Internet or whatever. Um, and instantly, as soon as he says that, the lights start bursting in his house, like the light bulbs start bursting. Um, a fire starts in his apartment. He quickly gets his father out of the apartment as he's uh, running down the hall with his father in his wheelchair, you, we see the lights in the hallway start going out as Johnny is running down the hallway. Finally, he gets to a, a staircase, but of course, dad is wheelchair bound. So Johnny takes his father and physically carries him down the stairs. When they get down to the bottom of the stairs, dad is obviously exhausted. He can't move at all. And then we see the AI materialize for the first time. And what we basically see is um, kind of like static electricity or like lightning bolts, um, like a whole group of them shows up and then they form into a fairly humanoid shape, two legs, two arms, torso, head. Um, so it's basically just almost like a shadow figure, but made of electricity. So it actually is kind of a cool effect. I'll give the movie that. The electricity effect here is fairly decent. Um, the uh, the creature starts walking down the stairs. Johnny is, try is standing in front of his father trying to protect him. 
obviously Johnny is pleading with the AI for his father's life. And he says, I'll do anything you want. Please don't take my father. And the AI just looks at him and says, I, I need another or find me another. That's the exact line. Find me another. So basically, you know, someone else to replace Johnny's father. And believe it or not, that's the end of our first segment. It just kind of ends right there with the AI basically saying, find me another. Johnny agrees. And then the following scene, we basically see Johnny being taken to the uh, to the government facility mentioned in the synopsis. And the, the wraparound even has a name. And it's actually the name of the facility, which is Outpost 37. So the wraparound is called Outpost 37. Uh, when Johnny arrives at the facility, he meets Dr. Wright. And Dr. Wright is a tall, well-built um, doctor who is obviously very insane, very domineering, um, obviously has a very nefarious goal with all of his research. But, you know, we're not really sure or aware of what it is at this point. Um, you know, he ends up getting into a conversation with Johnny. Johnny is tied to a chair this whole time because don't forget uh, for whatever reason, see, this is the thing that I don't understand is that for some reason, Johnny has been taken to this into to this uh, facility, even though he technically didn't do anything wrong. So unless somebody's accusing him of setting those people on fire, this is another plot hole. Why is Johnny in this facility? It doesn't make sense. He did nothing wrong. So, yeah, that's just plot hole number 50 of many. So. Um, so like I said, um, you know, Johnny and the doctor get into a conversation. Uh, at one point, Johnny gets pissed off and spits at the doctor's face. The doctor then pulls a bunch of gold rings out of his desk, uh, very large gold rings, practically brass knuckles, puts them on his hand and basically beats the shit out of Johnny while he's tied to the chair. Because uh, we all know what kind of bravery it takes to beat up someone tied to a chair. So, yeah, that sets up Dr. Wright nicely. Uh, at this point, Johnny is assigned to Block 10, which is the Phobia Ward. Basically, everybody in Block 10, all the people that share that large room with Johnny, all have a certain phobia for whatever it is. Um, even though there's more than four people in the room, Johnny is spe uh, specifically introduced to four of them. Uh, Emma, Alma, um, Sammy, and Renee. Uh, but Renee, they actually, the doctor actually calls her the mummy because her face is wrapped in gauze while she's in the hospital. We don't know yet, so be patient. Um, so, yeah, at this point, uh, Dr. Wright admits uh, what he's basically doing. He uh, he tells Johnny that he literally that he literally is harvesting fear as a gas, basically. He invented a machine. He he created a machine that where you, when you hook up someone uh, to the machine, you know, there's diodes all over their body. There's contacts on. There's like a helmet uh, that's got contacts, you know, for brain waves and things like that. And basically, what it is is to induce these people's fear, uh, which can then be collected in canisters as a gas. Yeah, I know, I know, folks. It's a weird story, but what are you gonna do? Um, it's, it's weird, but at the same time, it's actually, I, I guess to its credit, it's attempting to be something yes. somewhat interesting. They just don't do enough with it. I think that's one of the problems with the movie. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, the, the, to me, this is the most interesting plot line of the whole movie. Aside from all the five stories, the wrap around the fact that this crazy doctor is trying to weaponize fear. He's mm -hmm. trying to make like weapons where you can shoot 
fear as a gas and incapacitate your enemy, which, you know, is kind of brilliant. It's a non-lethal like way. of laughing gas almost. Exactly. Yes, thank you. So instead of the Joker's Smilex, <laughs> it's fear <laughs> gas. So, yeah. All right. So after admitting to Johnny what it is that he's doing in this facility, uh, they call down Sammy. Sammy is a young, attractive Asian girl. And um, she's strapped to the device. And, you know, we start seeing, you know, sparks and shit coming from the machine. And so begins Sammy's story. Sammy's story is called Vihophobia. And Vihophobia, for those who don't know, is the fear of driving. This is the short that I mentioned earlier during the non-spoiler section that I just don't think belongs in this movie, but whatever. Um, so basically, this segment starts out with Sammy and her boyfriend getting into a fight. Um, and, and basically it looks like they're breaking up, uh, cause, uh, the boy, the boyfriend basically tells her, you know, you're a crazy bitch and I, I want nothing to do with you. Obviously we don't know the context of this argument yet at this point. So, um, uh, what's her name? Sammy. So Sammy basically just ends up leaving the area, uh, leaving her boyfriend to walk home Well, her ex-boyfriend now to walk home. And she just starts driving around the city. And as she's driving around the city, her car starts having mysterious problems with it. It, it starts out really simple. Uh, her headlights may be flickering when she's not touching the lights. Uh, the radio may be coming on on its own when, you know, she, she didn't. She's basically driving with the radio off. And on multiple occasions, it would just turn itself on at, it, at the loudest volume. And it would scare the shit out of her. Um, so it starts out real simple like that. Uh, but then finally, at one point, after she's having all this mysterious problems, her seatbelt tightens. So she's driving on the road and uh, her seatbelt tightens to the point that it pins her back to the seat. And at that exact moment, uh, she goes into a flashback. Um, well, at that exact, I should say that at, a, that, at, a, at that exact moment, she looks in the rearview mirror and sees a bloody elderly man sitting in her back seat. You only see him for like a brief second. And then once we see this man, we go to a flashback. And this is where we find out what actually happened to make Sammy and her boyfriend break up. What we see is we see Sammy and her boyfriend planning to rob an old bar owner. They're outside of a bar that closes, um, I forget, 5 or 6 a.m., I think they mention. And every day at 6, he takes the day's takes and he goes and, you know, deposits it in the bank. So they're waiting for him. Um, when the old guy comes out, he is holding a satchel, one of those uh, uh, bank-like um, sacks, uh, with money in it, you could tell that it's fairly thick, so there's probably a good amount of money in there, cash. And the boyfriend goes out, puts. Uh, they both have hockey masks, or excuse me, ski masks, not hockey masks. Um, they both have ski masks on. The boyfriend comes out, gets out of the car when the old man comes out and confronts him with a knife. Basically says, you know, give me the money, um, you know, and you won't get hurt. Much to the... Uh, the awesomeness of the old man, he can tell just by looking at Johnny's eyes, he ain't going to do shit. Cause he looks right at Johnny and says, boy, you don't have the balls to take my money. Johnny continues with his threatening, uh, you know, verse, shut the fuck up. Give me the money. I'll fucking kill you. Blah, 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 blah. The old man ends up just chuckling and just walking right by Johnny. And Johnny is armed at this point. He's got a knife in his hand. The old man just, like I said, he, he cracks a smirk and just keeps walking. 
Johnny is standing there. Um, Johnny established uh, earlier while they were making the plan that he didn't want to hurt anybody. They're not, he's not out to kill anybody. He doesn't want anybody hurt. He just wants to rob this old man and leave the city. Um, unfortunately, the old man refuses to give him the money, starts to walk away. At that point, Sammy goes into action. She puts the car into drive, floors it, and she runs down the old man, pretty much killing him instantly. We see the old man lying on the ground, blood all over his face. And now you know why she is being haunted um, and why she's having all this mysterious car trouble. It's uh, very obviously the disgruntled spirit of this old man, um, you know, basically fucking with Sammy. As soon as Sammy comes back uh, or as soon as we come back from the flashback to like the present time, um we see the car start to accelerate on its own. Like, and once again, the seatbelt tightens, pinning her to the seat. Uh, we see the car floor itself and start just driving right into like a wall or a pole. Eventually she does hit something, which I thought killed her because the shot they show of Sammy sitting in her passenger seat in her totally twisted, mangled car, her eyes are open and she's not moving. I always assume that means that person's dead, but of course, Sammy's at the facility, so she didn't die. And after uh, they show Sammy in the driver's seat, uh, suddenly the trunk of her car opens. The camera pans around, and in the trunk we find the body of the old man, that they killed. Yes, uh, they had the body in the trunk of the car the entire evening. And obviously, this is the, the spirit of this old man getting his revenge. And that's the, that's pretty much the end of this short. This one, I mean, this is the shortest um, segment in the movie. And it still could have been shorter. Because, like I said, there was probably about five minutes of Sammy just driving around, having various problems with the car. No dialogue wait, with any other... Wait, wasn't the... Wait, wasn't the one with the girl that suffered from PTSD the shortest one? That might have been, actually. I actually enjoyed that one a little bit more, so maybe that's why. You you might be right. That might be the shortest one, because yeah. that was a quick one, too. Um, maybe This one maybe just felt quick to me. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, but this is the one I mentioned earlier in the non-spoiler section that I said this this could have been a five-minute segment, and, it, and it, we would have gotten all the information we needed. And we would have gotten just as many scares, which is zero. So, and that's the end of Vihophobia. That's the end of Sammy's story. Uh, we go back to the uh, the mental facility or the testing facility, excuse me. And at this point, uh, Dr. Wright introduces Johnny to Emma. Emma is, uh, you know, a quiet, middle-aged white woman just laying in her bed, not really communicating with anybody. Not not necessarily catatonic, but just kind of laying there, ignoring everyone. Uh, she ends up having a nightmare where she thinks she sees, like, a spirit or something, um, which doesn't make sense. Once we finish the story, it doesn't make sense that she sees this I mean, whatever it is, it looked like this. It looked like the spirit of a little girl because it, it looked like one of those Japanese ghosts, white gown, long black hair. So it really doesn't make sense. Once we finish this story, the, the whole context of that little piece, uh, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. But anyway, at this point, we go into Emma's story. Emma's story is called aphebophobia, and for the, I, I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, a phobia or a febophobia, e p h e b i phobia. So, however you pronounce that, and that is, of course, the fear of youth, 
or the young, basically the fear of children. Uh, this is another one where the phobia doesn't make sense because this woman does not have a fear of children. She'll, she might have a fear of three particular children, but not all of them. So let's get into her story. Emma is a middle school teacher. She is at home by herself grading papers one night when she receives a phone call from her husband. And the voice on the phone is a very familiar one to people who are paying attention. I won't reveal it yet because we get the obvious reveal a little bit later in this segment. Um, basically, the voice on her on the phone, which is her husband, basically says, um, uh, I'm probably not going to make it home tonight. I'm going to stay at the office again. And then she goes, wow, four nights in a row. I'm starting to believe that you're cheating on me, which they both blow off as like a ha-ha joke. But once we find out who her husband is, it actually makes way more sense. So um, at this point, after she realizes that her husband isn't coming home again tonight, she ends up sending a text to someone named Spencer. And the text merely says, he's gone, come over. So yes, Emma believes her husband is cheating on her, and she is cheating on her husband. So um, uh, basically the evening starts uh, going along and she never gets a reply to the text. Um, a little bit later, she sends, you know, uh, another text with just question marks to see, you know, if he got the first text. Once again, she gets no reply. Uh, she ends up just going to bed that evening and, uh, you know, not really thinking about it. But then she, st uh, she wakes up in the middle. Oh, right. Um, she, she ends up uh, getting a phone call in bed. And um, no one no one's on the line. She says hello multiple times, but there's just someone breathing on the other line and they end up hanging up on her. She then hangs up the phone and gets up out of bed and the camera pans over to show a picture of her and her husband. And who is the man in the picture? It's Dr. Wright from the testing facility. Yes. Uh, Emma is apparently married to Dr. Wright, which actually adds a little bit of darkness to this short because that means that Dr. Wright committed his own wife, <laughs> which that that's pretty fucking heavy when you think about it. But again, uh, there's plot holes in this one left and right. Uh, I'm not going to go into all of them, but um, like I said, after she, uh, should I say to continue after Emma gets out of bed, uh, she starts hearing what she thinks are footsteps and creaking in her house um, she starts to realize that she's not alone in her home, and she literally just starts screaming, who's in my house? Get out of my house. Um, she goes to search in one of her closets, and what's funny is that as the camera pans across the closet, right before the camera view changes, we actually see a face in the closet hiding behind her clothes. She doesn't notice it because she hears another distinct noise somewhere else in the house. She gets she um, she starts to leave her bedroom to investigate the noise. And then we see a teenage girl, no older than like 15 or 16, maybe uh, she walks out of the closet. And as soon as um, Emma turns around, uh, she uh, the, the girl slashes Emma right in the face, basically slices her cheek. Emma uh, Emma falls to the ground, starts freaking out, uh, and then two more boys show up, an older boy and a younger boy. Um, so there's three kids total here. Uh, and then they start talking very nonchalantly about what they're going to do. Basically, uh, the eldest boy looks at his sister, and these are three siblings, by the way. All three of them are siblings. 
um, the older brother looks at the sister and says, so how are we going to do her? And she goes, well, we're just going to stab her until she bleeds out. That seems to be the obvious thing to do. And the brother is concerned with the mess that it's going to make. And, you know, sister kind of makes a joke. Yes, the human body has blood and there's a lot of it. So it's going to get messy, blah, blah, blah. Um, Emma still has no idea who these kids are or why they're doing this. So finally, the girl who seems to be the ringleader in this whole thing, the younger brother, uh, who's very young, he's maybe like 12 or 13. He obviously doesn't want to be there. You could see the look on his face where he's just kind of going along because it's his siblings. Uh, and then the older brother seems like he's the muscle, but he also doesn't seem very bright. So the sister is definitely like the kingpin of this little trio of murder. So um, Emma finally asks them, why are you doing this? And she goes, and, and basically she pulls out a phone and she shows it to Emma. And it's the phone that she sent that text to earlier. So it's Spencer's phone. And she looks, she looks at uh, the girl, the redhead, the young girl, looks at Emma and says, uh, so do you want to fuck my father? And instantly you could see the light bulb turn on in Emma's head. These are Spencer's three kids. Apparently, according to the young girl, she says that because Emma fucked their dad, that it destroyed their family, that it ruined their family. And this is their way of getting revenge. Yes, three children are going to murder someone uh, for adultery, which, you know, obviously is a little excessive, but little kids sure. justify things in the weirdest way, so. Well, Shades of Scream, so what do you expect? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, she is, uh, Emma is able to kind of escape her captors on multiple occasions. At one point, she's able to smash a little figurine on the on the girl's head, uh, at another point during the chase, she's able to push the older brother down some stairs and get away from him. Uh, and then when she gets out to her own living room, the younger brother, the little kid, is there. He freaks out. He doesn't know what to do. So he's actually grabbing at Emma to try to keep her from running out the front door. And Emma just pushes the boy down to the floor. Unfortunately, when the boy falls, he hits his head on the fireplace, on the base of the fireplace. You know how it's brick. Um, he hits his head on it and it looks like it kills him. He doesn't move. We never see him move again after that. Instantly, everybody's like, oh, shit. Uh, Emma starts yelling. It was an accident. It was an accident. I swear it was an accident. Um, the siblings, the older siblings are just kind of standing around, just kind of, I don't know figuring out what they're going to do at this point, because now the teacher defended herself in a way that it actually killed one of the siblings. So the teacher runs out her front door. She actually makes it to the front yard of her house in, in a fairly affluent neighborhood, too. It's a, it's a pretty big, nice house. And there's other houses around it, too. So, you know, there's other people there. She runs out of the house screaming with the older brother right behind her with a switchblade in his hand. He's able to tack, tackle Emma in the front yard. And, you know, he basically gets on top of her, pinning her to the ground, and he's trying to stab her in the chest. She's obviously holding his hands back to resist. Somehow she's able to reverse the position 
and suddenly she's on top of him. She's able to overpower him. She's able to uh, disarm him. She gets the switchblade out of his hand. And then she just unmercifully starts beating the shit out of this kid, just punching his face over and over. And at this point, too, this kid's already been hit in the head with a rolling pin twice. I mean, this this guy definitely has a concussion at the very least. Um once the boy is out cold and his face is just completely covered in blood because she beat the fuck out of him, she basically turns around and just sees the sister sitting on uh, the steps leading to Emma's house, sitting there very nonchalantly, and she just waves politely. And at that exact moment, we hear the police sirens. Um, the police end up arriving at the house, and Emma, uh, the ki- basically, the girl called the cops. Um, it wasn't Emma that called the cops. Uh, the young girl called the cops and she uh, she called in the context of, I want to report a murder. So when the cops arrive, you know, they find the one dead kid in the living room, the one kid practically dead on the lawn. And then, of course, the young girl crying probably in the front yard. Um, this obviously gets Emma arrested. This is another huge plot hole because if this police station, um, if this police um if the group of police in this town even did five minutes of investigation, they would see that there's no way she planned to murder these kids. I mean, they're at her house. Um, they're holding their father's cell phone. The girl has her father's cell phone uh, in her pocket with Emma's text on it saying, come over. Um, just all, you know, somehow these kids, we don't actually see this part, but somehow the kids are able to convince them that I guess she somehow invited them over to the house and then just snapped and attacked them. <clears throat> Emma is then arrested and taken to the testing facility. And that is the end of a febophobia. The, the, the segment ends with a class picture of, uh, of uh, Emma's class. And it pans over to show the little redhead girl that was the mastermind of this whole thing. And she's got a look on her. She's got a murderous look on her face, even in the class picture. So this girl obviously has uh, emotional problems since well before her father um, cheated with this woman, which really, I, man, so many plot holes in this one. Because like I said, like, why... How is the girl blaming the woman? Is it isn't it usually the man that approaches women, especially when they're both married? Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. not usually a woman looking for married man. And not to say that it never happens. Of course it happens. But I'm saying the majority of the time it's us men that are the scumbags. We're the ones that are looking to cheat. And it 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 bothered me that Emma never defended herself at no point during this whole thing. Did she say, Hey, wait a minute. I didn't put a gun to your father's head and force him to fuck me. Okay. He approached me. He chased me, you know? So if anything, your father is to blame, but she never brings up any points. Literally. It's just, she's running away. At one point she says, she tries to apologize. And I'm like, fuck that. You know, I mean, you did do something wrong in the sense that you committed adultery, but Murder is not the proper response to adultery in any world. So, yeah. So that is uh, Emma Short. Uh, apparently, she's now scared of children. <laughs> like I said, uh, the, the phobias, the quote-unquote phobias in this movie are kind of silly. So what are you going to do? Okay, so we're back to the facility. Dr. Wright decides to bring down Johnny and Alma. Alma is a very attractive 
um, probably not older than 30, a Hispanic woman. Um, basically, the doctor asks one of them to volunteer to go into the machine one more time, to be strapped in the machine, to be harvested one more time. Uh, she's um, Alma volunteers if she can see her child. Uh, she, you know, she claims that she has a child at this point. Obviously, we haven't seen her story yet, so we're not sure. Um, once she says that she has a child and that she wants to see him, Johnny volunteers. Johnny's like, OK, I'll go first. Uh, the doctor basically says, well, that's very nice of you, but that's not how it works. And I'm thinking, well, why the fuck did you ask for volunteers? <laughs> the asshole. And so um, he decides, no, I'm going to put Alma in the chair first. He puts Alma in the chair. And so starts Alma's story, which is called Hoplophobia. And what Hoplophobia is, is the fear of weapons, specifically firearms. So fear of guns, basically. All right. So Alma's story starts out. She is a member of a SWAT team. And they are in the middle of a raid um, in a private residence. And, you know, they're going room to room, clearing all the rooms out. And at one point, Alma blindly fires into a room that she thinks has perps in the room. Unfortunately, she accidentally shoots a child, um, which, you know, uh, we've, we've seen it before in cinema and maybe some of you in real life. Uh, where a police officer accidentally shoots a child and, you know, has PTSD moving forward after that. And that's basically exactly what happens to Alma. Uh, she basically ends up developing PTSD and suffering from delusions, hallucinations, however you want to look at it. Um, at one point, she's in the living room with her son. Uh, we, we do see that she has a teenage son, probably like 15, 16 years old. Um, and he's playing a violent video game. You can hear the gunshots. He, I, I don't know if he's on a phone or like a handheld video game system. It's nothing that I recognize, so maybe it's just a fake prop. But the point is, um, he's playing this game, and the sound effects of the people yelling and the guns being fired trigger a hallucination for Alma. She starts imagining that uh, people are breaking into her apartment and firing weapons blindly into her apartment she grabs her son and they dive onto the ground and she's basically screaming to him stay down stay down now mind you during this whole little tiny piece um it's kind of in slow motion uh the audio is kind of echoing so it's you know you're starting to get the clue that maybe this isn't really happening and then suddenly um she comes out of her hallucination her son is basically pleading with her mom. It's okay. There's nobody here. She gets up and realizes, oh, shit, I had a hallucination. But then she realizes that it was triggered by the violent video game that her son was playing, and she yells at him. She ends up admonishing him for playing a violent video game after she told him not to. Uh, the boy gets kind of emotional. He apologizes, and then he actually hugs his mother, something you definitely don't see children usually do right after being yelled at, but... He basically hugs her, trying trying to calm her down. Uh, she decides, you know, oh, shit, I fucked up. Uh, let me do something nice. So she asks if he wants to go to a new diner that just opened up and, you know, try the food. He agrees, and off they go. While they are at this diner, um, she ends up having another hallucination. This time it's triggered by, ooh, that was a little bit of a spoiler. <laughs> I shouldn't have said hallucination. Anyway, she's in she's in the diner and a news report comes up about a gunfight going on somewhere in the city. 
So once again, the sound of the sirens and the guns being fired, uh, it looks like she's about to, like it's about to set her off to start a hallucination. Like it starts to go slow motion and the, the sound starts echoing, but then it instantly stops. And what we see are three masked men coming into the diner, all armed and, you know, obviously with the intention of robbing the restaurant and the patrons in the restaurant. She basically turns into fucking female Rambo and just completely decimates these three robbers. I mean, she, they're, they're trying to stab her. She is disarming them like nothing. I mean, this woman is Ronda Rousey times 10. Um and then finally, uh, two of the perps are down on the floor, and she has the third one in a chokehold, basically about to choke him out. And at that exact moment, she starts to realize it's a hallucination. And it turns out she's actually choking the waitress, um, not a robber, not someone who tried to you know, rob the restaurant. Unfortunately for her, there happened to be two police officers in the diner at this exact moment. So literally, as Alma comes out of her hallucination, she's already being arrested by the police. They are separating her from her son. Uh, she basically lets out one last scream uh, to be reunited with her son. And that's it. That's the end of Hoplophobia. So, yeah, Don's right. Now that I think about it, yeah, that probably is the shortest one. And once again, I mean... It's weird because this one does seem like it kind of has something to do with the phobia, the fear of weapons, but not really because we never see her wield a weapon the rest of the short. After she accidentally kills the child, we never see her wield another weapon. So I don't know that she actually has this phobia once again. I just I just think they're using it as a framing device for this short. So Yeah, like I said, it, to me, it was more of a... Like I said, it was more of a PTSD thing than really having anything to do with, like, a fear of weaponry. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely PTSD. Um, so, yeah, what are you going to do? So that's the end of segment number four. That's hoplophobia. And then at this point, we go back to the facility. And, and now uh, Johnny is... Uh, He's sleeping. It's the middle of the night. He's sleeping and he's woken up by the person introduced to him earlier as the mummy. And as you all know, the mummy is played by um, Macy Gray, um, not literally a mummy, but she's basically a patient that, is, that has her head partially wrapped because of some injury that she must have received. Johnny starts asking her, you know, did they do that to your face? And she goes, oh, no, baby, I did this to myself. And at that point, it goes right into her story. This story is called a telephobia. And for those who don't know, a telephobia is the fear of imperfection or not doing the right thing, um, which th this is a complex one, definitely. Um, so Macy Gray plays a character named Renee. Renee is an executive of an architecture company. Um, she's not president because um, while she's uh, right after she interviews a potential candidate for a new position, she gets a phone call from someone who sounds like it's her superior, basically saying, you know, the new job has a problem. Um, the, the roof is off by six degrees. It's slanted. Everything on the roof is sliding right off the building. What the hell did your team do? Um, you know, she tries to apologize and the person on the phone says, oh, sometimes 
you can't follow directions just like your mother, which, holy shit, that came out of nowhere for me. I'm like, who the hell are you to talk to her like that? But then she uh, goes back on the phone and says, dad, look, I didn't know that there was a problem. This is the first I'm hearing of it. We will fix it. And of course, the dad just gets pissed off and hangs up on her. So yeah, uh, Renee works for her father, who's a complete asshole, apparently. So um, at this point, she calls her team together, lets them know about the problem with the uh, the roof being off by six degrees and saying that, look, we need to figure this out tonight. So what I want you guys to do is grab all the materials from the job, everything that you have, all your numbers, everything, and come to my house this evening. Now, during this meeting, one of the members of the team makes an off-color joke and gets fired, like, vehemently. Macy Gray is literally like, get the fuck out of my office. She screams it, like, three times. Um, not the worst acting from Macy Gray, honestly. I mean, I don't usually expect musicians to be able to, you know, act. <laughs> uh, J-Lo, I'm looking at you. But, you know, Macy did what she needed to do. She comes off as believable. And, you know, I'm not saying it's a stellar performance by any stretch. I'm just saying it's a surprising one. Let's leave it at that. So that evening. Um, oh, and by the way, I'm sorry. Uh, she ends up firing that girl for making the off color joke. And then she ends up hiring the guy that she just interviewed at the beginning of the segment. And it's literally his first night on the job. And he tells them you know, go talk to your teammates. And then I expect all three of you at my house tonight so that we could figure out the problem with this building. He says, okay. And, uh, you know, the segment continues. Uh, Renee is now at home. Uh, she takes her shoes off, gets comfortable. A few minutes later, the other three arrive at her house and they basically just start having snacks and, you know, drinks. It looks like they're drinking iced tea. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, but suddenly everyone starts slowing down. Like the three people, like they're all they're all talking, trying to throw ideas back and forth on how to fix this issue. Uh, but then suddenly they all start slowing down and you see their eyes start to kind of shut and their heads start to nod. Um, one of them ends up dropping their glass, which breaks it on Renee's carpet. Uh, Renee leaves the room to go get, you know, something to clean up the glass with. When she returns, all three of the architects are out cold in her living room. She then starts dragging them one by one to a room in the back of her house, which is completely covered with plastic wrap, plastic wrap on the floor, plastic wrap on the walls, all the furniture is covered with plastic wrap. There's like a surgical table in the middle of the room that is also covered with plastic wrap. So obviously this does not bode well for our three architects. Uh, she ends up dragging one of them into that room and literally starts hacking parts of the body off. We don't actually get to see her, the hacking. Um, at one point, she takes a meat tenderizer and starts kind of smashing the teeth out of uh, one of the one of the architects. Um, so obviously, this woman is collecting body parts now. So... Um, she basically, at this point, she exposes like a secret, uh, I don't want to say chamber, but like a secret cabinet in that room that she's in. And in it, uh, we see what looks like Frankenstein plans, literally like instructions on how to reattach severed limbs, uh, instructions on how to replace damaged limbs and, and, you know, skin grafts and things like that. It literally looks like Dr. Frankenstein's wall. 
uh, at this point, we start to kind of realize what's going on. Either one, she's building herself a person, or two, she's replacing parts on her own body with other people's parts. Well, we get the confirmation very shortly after that because she takes off her gloves and on each of her hand, she has two white fingers. I mean, Caucasian. Like she, you know, most of her fingers are, you know, her skin tone, but then a few of them are white. Like they don't match her. So it's very obvious that she is um, trying to create the perfect body for herself. Like I said, the name of the short is a telephobia, the fear of imperfection or doing the right thing. And um, obviously, in this case, it's the fear of imperfection. She obviously feels that maybe she's aging or maybe she just feels that her body is imperfect in general. So finally, we get to the final scene of this short. And what the scene is, is uh, Renee, uh, Macy Gray, uh, disrobes, takes off all her clothes and jumps in the shower. And while she's in the shower, that's when we actually get to see everything. And we see that she's replaced one of her arms. She's replaced one of her legs. It looks like she actually replaced her ass because there's stitches around her ass. Um, she re obviously, I, I mentioned the multiple fingers on her hands that were the wrong color. So yeah, basically, you know, that's how our short ends. Just looking at Macy Gray naked. Um, we don't see anything. Her back is to the camera, but we do, like I said, we see all the scars and she basically looks like Frankenstein. Um, obviously her face is normal, uh, but all the rest of her body is just a mishmash of body parts that don't quite match. Um, and that is our final segment for our uh, for our movie. We return to Outpost 37 for the final time. And what we see is Dr. Wright come to collect Johnny for one last treatment. So basically, he's going to put Johnny in that chair until he either fills up a canister with fear or dies. Um, at this point, Johnny... Um, has a flashback of his segment. Basically, all the events of his segment kind of flash back in quick succession in his head. And then he remembers that he made a deal with his little uh, AI buddy. When the at the end of his segment, the AI buddy said, find me another. He remembers that and he just starts screaming for help. And the doctor starts laughing, obviously, because, you know, he's like, no one's going to help you, you idiot. They're they're all, you know, uh, they all have their instructions not to interfere with my work. Um, but he screams for help one last time. And suddenly the power goes out in the entire facility. The power is out completely. And then once again, we see Johnny's little electric friend manifest itself in the room and it, it ends up electrocuting Dr. Wright. It doesn't kill him. It doesn't burn him alive. It just electrocutes him enough to knock him out. After he's knocked out, our five patients tie him to a wheelchair. So he's strapped to a wheelchair. And they are now looking for the machine. They want to strap him into the machine as a little piece of revenge for themselves while also escaping the facility altogether. What ends up happening is they go down to like a storage area in the facility and they end up getting cornered. Uh, there's, there's no outlet to get out and the security guards are basically um, nearing them, nearing their position. They realized shit. Uh, we're kind of fucked here. We got no weapons, but Johnny looks down and he sees the canisters of fear that were collected by the doctor. They're full canisters. And then right next to them, he sees a few sets of, um, 
what do you call it? Gas masks, you know, like those, those big gas masks that go completely over your head. Um, so as soon as the security guards uh, get into the room where our five patients are cornered, they come out, all five of them wearing gas masks, looking like a badass hip hop group walking in slow motion towards the camera. And as soon as the security guards are close enough, they open the canisters. Suddenly the room fills with gas, uh, like smoke, you know, like a smoke machine, uh, white smoke. And we hear all the security guards um, like screaming in fear. You know, one of them will be screaming, get off me, get them off of me. Ah! You'll hear another one screaming, what the hell is that? You know, so obviously, unfortunately, we don't get to see what they're seeing. I would have liked to have seen that. Obviously, that's going to add more to the special effects budget. But I, I think it still would have been cool to kind of see what these security guards were scared of. But um, ultimately, they're incapacitated. They're all scared. They're, they're in the fetal position on the ground. And our five patients end up just leaving the doctor there and walking out of the facility. They end up taking um, one of the vans, one of the passenger vans that the facility uses, and they escape. They end up just driving away from the facility. And that's the last we see of them. Then we get one final little uh, coda for the movie. We go back down into the storage area of the facility. We see Dr. Wright still strapped to the wheelchair. And then suddenly we see once more for the final time, Johnny's little electronic friend manifest himself. And this time he burns the doctor alive. And the final shot of the film is basically the doctor burning alive in the wheelchair and that is Phobia's 2021. I don't know. The only the only segment that I can really say I enjoyed was probably Johnny's, the first one. And Mike knows more than anybody. I'm a very petty person. I'm very vindictive. I hold grudges. So it's the kind of thing that when I see bullies get their comeuppance, it's a, it's a guilty pleasure for me. So seeing Johnny's segment, you know, seeing this little Asian guy who couldn't defend himself, you know, suddenly have this power where he can actually, you know, call on a, a quote unquote friend to help him out. I, I kind of thought that was mildly interesting, but honestly, of the five segments, that's the only one that really did much of anything for me. I don't um, know if you guys have a favorite or not. Mine was the home invasion one. I like that one the most. Oh, the kids? Uh, yeah, the kid one was... Uh, that one was probably the one that felt like the most well thought out and the one that had the most, like... I, I don't know. I, I like the first half of it. I mean, yeah, you're completely right. The back, the revelation kind of makes it feel a little shortchanged and mm -hmm. kind of off, like, weird, like, how that would play out if it was true. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I like that one the most. I thought that one was the one that was, like, the most tech... Well, it the one that was the most enjoyable yeah i would have liked to have seen the kids coming coming after emma in that segment maybe because the mom killed herself or something like you know maybe mom found out that her husband was cheating with this teacher and then she ended up committing suicide and then that's why the kids want to come and kill her i, I might have right, accepted yeah. that a little bit more but just the fact that she slept with her dad is like no that's not grounds for murder kids i don't care who you are and because of it, you lost a sibling. Your little brother is dead directly because of your actions attacking this woman who doesn't deserve to be attacked. So it, it's an interesting segment. It definitely had potential. But, yeah, it fizzled out in, like, the last five minutes or yeah. so of it. Too bad. Mike, did you have a favorite? 
Um, probably the first one, just like you. I mean, it kind of was the most coherent story, more straight, more, most straightforward. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't try to do too much, very to the point. Um, and I mean, if anything, because of what happened to the guy at the beginning, kind of perks you up and catches your attention to kind of see where exactly it's going um so i i felt like the setup with that first story was probably the strongest yeah yeah yeah, same here i like the effects i like the effects on the creature the 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 quote-unquote friend um that was probably some of the better looking special effects in the movie all the people getting burned alive. None of it looked really great. CG fire. Eh, I'm, I'm not a big fan, but what little practical effects we get in this movie weren't terrible. I mean, mostly it's in the last segment where we see like some severed fingers and you know shit like that. But that's really the extent of the gore in this movie. It's rated R, but it's probably rated R more for language than gore because there's, like I said, there's barely any. Um, but yeah, man, it's too bad. I really wanted to like this. You know, I, I've already said, I love my anthologies and whenever I sit down to watch a new one, I get excited. I'm really happy. You know, we, we got a couple of good ones last year. I'm still waiting for a good one this year. Um, I don't know. Well, I, I, uh-huh. well uh, I was just going to say there was one piece of trivia that I wanted to bring up just because I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. One of the directors in this is actually a character, a genre actor that we would be pretty familiar with. Um, anyone catch who it was? Hmm. Not okay. really. No, I did not. Okay, the one that the director of the uh, PTSD segment was Camilla Bell, the final girl from When a Stranger Calls the remake. Oh, okay, cool. I had no yeah, idea. it's her directorial debut. Yeah, it's her directorial debut, I think. Very cool. No, that's awesome. I like to see uh, members of the community doing more and more within our community. Yeah. Um, more often I mean, than not, you know. I mean, genre. Are... I mean, you know, genre recognition would probably be a stretch, but eh, it's something, though. I mean, hey. Yeah. Uh, she's got cred for whatever it's worth. It might not be mm-hmm. much, but she's got some, so I'll give it to her. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Like I said, mild recommend from me. I, I would say only if you're a found footage. Uh, excuse me. Only if you're an anthology fan. If you're a big, big fan of horror anthologies, I would say check out Phobias. If you're not that big on anthologies anyway, there's not really anything here that's going to change your mind. Not by any stretch. So yeah, not really. Yeah, it's a good effort. You know, but it falls short. Almost every story falls short a little bit or has major plot holes. Um, again, with this being an anthology, I understand that they're short stories, short segments that may not have the full narrative. So you kind of have to accept, um, you know, missing information. But I mean, major plot holes, you know, like on top of the fact that how the hell would the woman with the little kids, how did she get arrested? That just bugs the shit out of me. That just, I mean, the police department of that town just me just must be fucking awful. And they just believe children instantly. You know what I mean? It's just, there's yeah. so much evidence in that house that would point to her being attacked, but somehow she still gets arrested. So, well, yeah. Well, let's not also, let's also not forget the fact she's the only one out, I mean, outside of the dead kid, she's the only one with wounds on him. You know, she's got all the knife wounds from when they were stabbing her in the face. Right, right. Well, she beat so, the shit out of the older brother, too. He's bleeding out in the front yard oh, when the yeah, cops that's right, get there. Yeah, that's right, because I, I, I forgot. He's the, he was sitting in the ambulance at the very yeah. end. Uh, 
But I just like I said, I, but, I mean, yeah, I have like very little respect for that police department if they arrested that woman. I mean, obviously they're going to arrest her based on what the kids say, but I'm saying they obviously convicted her and then committed her. So that's a little bit of a stretch. But you know, again, what are you going to do? All right, Mike, what do you say we tie this one? Yeah, up? what we're going to do is end this episode, but. Before we do that, we got to find out what else we've had to do lately. So, Venom, uh, what do you got? Not a whole lot new. I actually, because I had such a crazy um, first three weeks of March, I didn't really schedule too much for the last week of March. On top of the fact that my wife and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary this past weekend, so I didn't really have a lot of time for watching movies, So, but I did obviously get a chance to watch Phobias a couple of times. Um, so as far as podcasts go, you know, we're, we're, we're still scheduled for later in April for the next episode of, of the main show, No More Room in Hell, where we're going to look at a pair of Czechoslovakian horror films or Czech Republic horror films. Um, look for that episode sometime in mid-April. Um, let's see. In the Mic of Madness, unfortunately, was postponed yet again last week for family emergencies. So, you know, we're still, hopefully we're on target for early next week to record our episode on, um, Silent Rage and 10 to Midnight, you know, action stars and horror movies is the theme for that episode. Um... Oh, and also, uh, Dark. Dis- uh, excuse me, In the Mic of Madness is now on the Dark Discussion Podcast Network. If I didn't mention that before, uh, Becca wasn't real happy with their last network, so now we she joined the family. So now most, I'd say about 90% of my shows now are now on the uh, Dark Discussions Podcast Network, including In the Mic of Madness, No More Room in Hell, It's Not Horror, Okay, almost all of them except uh, me and Don's Kaiju podcast, which officially is on the Legion podcast network. Um, Unfortunately, that one, we're still kind of trying to get together and get a uh, date so that we can talk uh, some more Gamera because I love talking Gamera. So hopefully that'll be uh, ready sooner than later. Uh, We did record and release. um, That's Mike and myself did record and release a new episode of theme warriors. Um, The theme for this episode was movies where an actor plays more than one role. So, you know, we we look at stuff where actors play anywhere from two to eight roles. In one instance, yeah, there's an actor that plays eight roles, and it's actually brilliantly done. So you'll have to tune in to find out which movie that is and which actor that is. But yeah, uh, that episode is currently available. I did see it drop today on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network, so check that out. On It's Not Horror Okay, we just recorded our new a new episode where we did a commentary for Steven Seagal's hit Marked for Death. That was a fun one, and that was also a first-time watch for Heather, which eh, isn't that much of a surprise. Heather doesn't really come off as a big Steven Seagal fan, but uh, she actually ended up really liking the movie. She loved the action. So, yeah, that was a fun episode, so check that out. That is currently available, once again, on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network, and I think that's it from me, Mike. All right. Well, we'll move along to Dawn. Do you have anything to let us know to listen to? Uh, no, not really. Uh, like Venom said, we're still circling a date for uh, Underwater Kaiju. Um, other than that, um, everything that I've 
gotten out. Everything I've been involved in has been out for a couple of weeks, so they've moved on to new episodes by now. So nothing really uh, new for me. All right. Well, then for myself, pretty much Venom covered it. Uh, the only thing I have to add is I was recently on an episode of 22 Shots as a guest along with uh, Watson. Uh, we covered the Evil Dead franchise, so that'd be Evil Dead 1, 2, Army of Darkness, and the Evil Dead remake. We also got in a little bit of discussion on the past Evil Dead video games. Uh, talked a little bit about the one coming out, and then I threw in like a few quips about Evil Dead, the musical, since that was something I attended a few years ago. Um, that is technically... It was recorded last week, so it will be released probably you know a couple days after this episode's up um that's usually their schedule like later in the week so that's all i got besides what venom had to tell me but um that sounds like it's gonna be that uh the end of this episode of fresh cuts venom dawn anything on your radar next I mean, I'm going to be going to the theater for the first time in over a year this weekend to see The Unholy. That's right. So I'm not sure if you're if you have a theater near you that is showing that. If not, we can pick another movie. It's not a big deal. There's plenty to choose from. But regardless, I will be going (laughs) with a giant ear to ear grin on my face, finally getting to go back to the theater. Yeah, I will have to figure that out only because I know this weekend I'll be out of town for Easter weekend. But because we record on Tuesdays, I can look into because for for stars, I have to figure out exactly what theaters and what proximity to me are open. Because like I said at the very top of the show, my home, my quote unquote home theater is not till May 7th. But I know there's like. You know, I live in a big enough city where there's like a theater, you know, every so many miles. So I just don't know what the closest ones to me that are open as of right now. But uh, yeah, my kids. Well, let's ask your kids and see if they have any. Let's ask your. Let's go get (laughs) your kids. Maybe they like phobias. And see if they have any suggestions. Yeah, I mean. They'll probably want us to do the Tom and Jerry movie. Oh Lord! <laughs> and from what I understand, it's pretty horrible, so it might fit the bill. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, right now, the when it comes to my kids, I, the one thing I'm trying to see if I can talk them into is uh, uh, Godzilla vs. King Kong at the drive-in. If I can talk them into that, I'm more than glad to go see that. But I don't know. We'll see. Um. But other than that, yeah. Well, if if we're not talking about one of those next week there's still plenty to choose from to, to go through and pick something so never there's nothing to fear from the listeners we will ah. be back <laughs> um all right that well jokes, folks. yeah uh yeah with that said that's gonna wrap this one up so thank you everyone for listening we're gonna get out so, stay by the way. I don't hate it.